Good evening and welcome to the Enoch Pratt Free Library. This afternoon, it is our pleasure to have Mr. Bob Rogers, who will talk about his latest work, The Lace Chameleon. Mr. Rogers? Thank you. Thank you very much and good afternoon. Yes, I am the brave soul who decided, what's a little competition? You know about this, um, what is it called? The purple tailgate. Purple tailgate, mind you, sponsored by none other than the star center fielder for the Baltimore Orioles. Yes. Adam Jones is sponsoring the Purple Tailgate as a fundraiser as we speak. Well, he's finished now. Game's on. Uh, But he sponsored that uh, to raise money for the Boys and Girls Clubs of Baltimore. Bless his little pea-picking heart. That's why you don't see some of your friends here today. But that's okay. For the friends that are here, let's go to New Orleans. We're going to do the Lace Chameleon, folks. All righty then. Now, in order to do this, uh, let's see. um, I made a little list here because folk that um, are somewhere around my age tend to forget what it was they went in the room for. You've had that little feeling, maybe. But let me just tell you, that's just a warning, right? So I make a list. Okay, Bob, what that screen says right there is... This is what you're supposed to say. Okay, now you know what it is I'm going to say. And right about now, I give away a prize to the person who can tell me where I borrowed the title on this slide. Here to yonder. That's where we're going. We're going from here to yonder. Now, where did I get that from? Uh, no, he's not Southern. And I gave away his gender right there. <laughs> In that I said, did I say? No, he is not Southern. <laughs> he's a Northerner, a writer, and all around, what's the word, Renaissance man. Uh, that came from, or oh, I borrowed that from, or... As they say where we come from in South Carolina, I teefed it from Langston Hughes. <laughs> okay. He wrote a column, by the way, in the Chicago Defender. And the name of the column, to include his simple stories, Jesse B. Simple, remember those? Mm-hmm. The heading said, here to yonder. Right. Okay. So that's where that came from. Now, about getting on to yonder, and here's what I'd like to do with you is to introduce you to some of the players. Now, you're going to meet and hear a lot about Francesca. Whoops, I didn't bring my pointer. This, here's my pointer. That's Francesca. All right, just kind of orient you a little bit there. And since you probably already know that the Lace Chameleon is a murder mystery, hmm? you need a bad guy. Bad guy's over there on the right. That is Troy. Now, you need a couple of people that speak the truth, no matter who they're talking to. And we got two folk. One of them, enslaved and a superb cook. Her name's Edna. 
All right, so there's Edna. Uh, since this is a murder mystery, you've got to have police somewhere in there. So that's Philippe. No photo of Philippe. But the other person that speaks truth, no matter who's listening, does not care. His name is Jean-Pierre. He's a Confederate soldier. Mm-hmm. So very diverse. Um, did they all know each other? No. Not so much. Um, all right. So... Um, that is the leading cast. Now, what happened was this. Good evening. It's 11 p.m. in New Orleans this rainy Friday evening, April 25, 1862. Here are the news headlines. Today, a prominent New Orleans banker was shot to death. Yankee flag officer David Baggage warships arrived in New Orleans. Negotiations are underway for the surrender of the city. General Mansfield Weber ordered the Confederate soldiers to withdraw from New Orleans. Our top story tonight is the shooting death of the son of Citizens Bank Executive, Edward Boussard. His son, Joaquin Boussard, also an officer at Citizens Bank, was struck in the head by a bullet while standing on the East Bank levee awaiting the arrival of Yankee warships. Though more than half a dozen shots were fired, apparently, Monsieur Moussel was the only person here. Our reporter learned that Monsieur Moussel and his mother, Mademoiselle Francesca Duma, were standing with a group of friends surrounded by a large crowd, watching Yankee warships make their way past Slaughterhouse Bend. Some people in the crowd burst into cheering and singing. That's when the shots rang out. Grief-stricken and smeared with the victim's blood, Mademoiselle Dumas turned out and reported that it seemed odd to her that there were no other injuries among the onlookers. She believes Monsieur Bussard was deliberately gunned down. Mademoiselle Dumas has publicly vowed revenge. When asked if she has a lead on a supposed killer, Mademoiselle Dumas said, no, but will be unto the murderer when I find him. According to New Orleans police detective Philippe Rousseau, it is, in, it is not at all clear that the shooters took aim at any particular person in this large crowd. They could have been fired at the Yankee warships. When asked about Mademoiselle Ruby's assertion of murder, he said, I understand her grief and anger, but remember, there's a wrong. We'll do what we can with the legal resources we have left. And now, this message from our sponsor. Tradition 
of the TV series Columbo. Now, Yuma is the least Cambodian. century technology. Mm-hmm. All right, now you saw that. So, what's this thing about? Here's some thoughts. Well, identity, race, class, murder mystery, perseverance. How does entrepreneurship fit into this? Does it? Well, I'm going to leave that up to you. You decide. But getting on toward yonder, oh, this picture is to remind me that it's time for me to read. So, I just happen to have here with me a copy of, what does it say? The Lace Chameleon, huh? All right, it has bookmarks already in it, so I'll just turn to one of those pages that's marked already. And let's see here now. I'm on page 14. You have your copy uh, with you. That'd be great. Uh, go right ahead and uh, turn to page 14. Good evening, Simon. That's where I'm reading from. Okay. Just came from the Jewish Museum, so I've been very busy. Yeah, so yes, just please um, have, have a chair there. Make yourself at home. Okay. All righty then. So reading uh, from page 14, still holding Emily's hand, Francesca turned for another look at David Farragut's procession of United States Navy warships gliding upstream as more rounded slaughterhouse bend. She took a deep breath. Her voice was low and but firm. M, I've never been sure of anything in my life. I'll avenge Joaquin's murder or die trying. Now, please go before they're completely out of sight. Nodding and looking from Brooke to Louie, Emily hugged Francesca and said, Okay, we're going. Thank you, my dear friends. The muddy hem of Francesca's dress covered Joaquin's right knee and the top of his boot. She did not watch her friends depart. She remained close to Joaquin's body and continued gazing as if in a trance at the warship's and the stars and stripes they flew. Though grieving, Francesca wanted to remember the sight of the return of the grand old flag to New Orleans. She whispered to no one in particular, Thank God we are back in the Union. Okay. All right, let's see where the next mark is here. All right. You can turn, please, to page 4647 in your copy. And I'm reading from the middle of the page there on 46. Presently, Francesca realized that she was staring at her teacup. She looked up. Since this is your market day, if you don't mind, I'll go with you and pick up a few things for Ma. Course not. You come on along and we can talk. I'll be happy to have you. 
But, before we go, tell me, were you just now thinking about your money situation? About how you going to eat, live indoors, and such? Francesca's face brightened. Why, yes, you're right. That's exactly what I was thinking about. Edna's face turned serious. Though we've only known each other for only a minute, I'm going to tell you like I tell my own Rebecca or Rachel, if and they were your color. Edna leaned forward. Her voice became somber. Plasage was invented to trap pretty young girls that are the color they are call some white man done ravished the mamas and the grandmas. This plasage thing ain't no good for your heart or your head. Francesca thought, hmm, these are Mother DeLille's words exactly. Could it be that they know each other? Francesca's sigh was audible. She clasped her hands in her lap. Edna, I must live on my own. Mama can't support me. Papa's always in debt with his damn gambling. We don't have a farm. I can't sew, cook, or do housework. White people use slave women for those jobs. Now, of course, you realize no white man can marry me, even if one wanted to do so. I've never had any luck even to get a free black man to do more than look at me. And Lord knows, I've tried. After looking and declaring that I'm beautiful, they tell me I look like trouble. And since I can't buy one, slave men are out of the question. Don't you see? My choices are very, very narrow. She wrung her hands. I don't know any other way. I have to use what I have. Edna slowly shook her head and dropped her chin. Francesca saw sadness on her face. For the first time, the thought occurred to her, maybe Mother DeLille was right. Maybe. All right, moving right along then. Let's see here. Hmm, Somebody put a mark over here on page 57. I'll read there. She set off in the darkness for Joaquin's house, eight zigzagging blocks away, looking carefully at every bush and tree she approached and periodically glancing over her shoulder. Her sweating left hand was inside her leather bag, resting on the polished walnut wooden grip of her pistol. As expected, Joaquin's house was dark. Francesca knelt by the steps and hoped she did not encounter a snake or a black widow spider as she removed a loose brick from the back of the steps. The key was not there. She felt along the ground. Nothing. Forgetting how far she had crawled, She tried to stand and crashed her head into a joist with a thud. She let out a half-muffled cry. Her headache was instant. Before she could get to her feet, 
a startled raccoon bolted from under the veranda and ran around the corner of the house. In spite of herself, Francesca screamed. Okay, got time for one more? One more? All right, one more, okay. Let's hear it for one more. Let's see. Well, now, where's another marker? Well, here's one, page 202. All this fits on page 202. All right. When Francesca arrived at Major Stone's office, she was surprised by the presence of Sarah Butler, who gave her a warm greeting. She was the last to enter the office as the bell at St. Patrick's Cathedral Catholic Church uh, began the first of eight chimes. Walking past Major Stone's desk, John Mahan tapped it with his pencil and said, Let's get started. Francesca and Marcel, this briefing is high confidential. Nonetheless, you can decide not to undertake this assignment after you hear the details. Here's the situation. Success General Earl Van Dorn was appointed by Jeff Davis as commander of what Davis calls his Trans-Mississippi District. In plain English, that means Arkansas, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Van Dorn was once one of ours, you know, a West Point grad. Knowing him, as soon as we fail in our foolhardy attempt to divert the Mississippi River's flow away from Vicksburg with a damn canal, I expect he will make a move to retake Baton Rouge as a stepping stone back to New Orleans. Van Dorn needs a victory. He's still smarting after we defeated him at Pea Ridge, and he needs to get back into Davis's good graces. Hmm. Getting New Orleans back would make him a hero. Francesca shuddered. She thought, oh, murdered. We're not safe. Have I made a premature dismissal of the secesh? Can we go back into slavery? My home, my family. Oh, mon dieu. So ends the reading from all the little bookmarks I have here. So that must mean that the person intended for me to just put the book down here and say, we've read a bit. All right, let's see what it is I'm supposed to tell you next. Oh, the backstory. Yes, my second favorite part. You'll find out what my first favorite part is in a minute or two. Okay, here are a few notes to myself here, in both in text and in photos. Let's see, now we start with my South Carolina experience. So there are two things I want to tell you there. I'll hold my fingers like this so I remember that there are two. Okay, the first of those two uh, is about me. This is right after high school. Uh, right after high school for me was way back when. We're talking in the 60s here, folks. Okay, so after high school, um, there was this wonderfully beautiful young lady that attracted my attention. And don't you know, even with my face, she agreed to be my girlfriend. Well, I'm here to tell you that didn't last long. How come? Because her auntie with whom she was living, this poor thing was an orphan, well, she heard from Auntie that, you look, I know him. 
you're wasting your time. He ain't going to amount to much. Okay. Now, you can guess what she might have looked like and what her class was. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're right. You guessed correctly. I heard all of you. <laughs> I hear you thinking over there. All right. So, the second is first dark. Now, first dark, hmm, where's my pointer here? Pointer, pointer, okay. First dark up there in the upper right-hand corner. Uh-oh, okay. Use the backup. Over there. All right. Uh, is where Francesca, the star, as you now know, in the Lace Chameleon, was introduced. She first appeared in that book several years prior to the release of the Lace Chameleon. The first five chapters in First Dark occurred in South Carolina. South Carolina's low country. So the protagonist you see on the cover there, Isaac, met Francesca, and they liked each other more than a lot. All righty, so that's the introduction there. Where did they meet? Camp Supply, Indian Territory. Camp Supply is uh, army speak for an army outpost in Oklahoma, once upon a time, called Indian Territory. wonder what happened to that. Oh, well, anyway, it's a state now. Okay, then Edna, and Edna Black and Jean-Pierre, you remember those? The folk that talk no matter what and speak the truth in front of whoever is listening? Yep. Edna Black and Jean-Pierre were introduced in First Dark. So, borrow that. Now, these photos at the bottom remind me that uh, I have more to tell you about the backstory. So, off to New Orleans I went and uh, discovered uh, much about the city. For example, they used both buses and trolleys. The buses were called omnibuses, and they were pulled by six horses, but they could only carry six people, and your bags and whatever you, you know, went shopping and got. All right, here you see a horse in front of a trolley. The trolley could carry more than six people. Now, why could one horse pull more than six people, but it took on the bus um, six horses? Hmm? Any guess? All right. Here's the answer. The trolley ran on steel rails, on steel wheels, making it easy to move the vehicle. Therefore, only one horse was required. If you could do it with half a horse, but I don't know how you do that. <laughs> it might work still. So half horsepower? Well, not never mind. Can't round down. We have to round up. Okay, so I learned that. Now, who is that person in the... Um, in the slide that I cut off there. Any guesses on that? Well, that's the bottom half of um, a fellow by the name of Henry Clay from Kentucky. Very well known and revered in New Orleans, so they put up a statue uh, uh, for him. And right there, it's located in what was called Tivoli Circle. When you go to New Orleans, please don't look for Tivoli Circle. Well, it's in Bob's book. Why can't I find it? Well, the reason is it's been, it was renamed Lee 
circle, and Robert E. Lee's stature now stands in that place. What did they do with old Henry Clay? Did they dump him? Nah, they moved him to Lafayette Park. Okay, so much for that part of the backstory. People in New Orleans welcomed me when I went there to do my, I call it field work, but in the Army, when I was in the Army, we called it reconnaissance. So I'm out there on the street taking pictures of houses when a couple noticed that I'd taken a picture of their house. What did they do? No, they were not irate. They invited me in. Surprise, surprise. Nobody's more surprised than I was. But in, once inside, I have a tour of the house, and I'm taking pictures as I go. This photo was taken inside their house, and one of the scenes in the book when, when um, uh, Francesca uh, goes in and appropriates papers and the, um, what do you call that, uh, attache case of uh, Joaquim after he was murdered, she fell on these stairs. So you notice they make a 180-degree turn, two turns, uh, 190 degrees and then another one 90 degrees. And on that first turn is where she slipped and fell on her butt. All right, so in order to be able to describe that, uh, in the book, it was all based on the tour that these wonderful people invited me into their home to see, you know, right off the street. So I get that kind of reaction where people help me uh, along my way, and who knows, it may turn up in one of my books. All right, and this is their house. That's the front of the house. So I used the house as an architectural model for the house where she lived with Joaquin um, Busson. Mm-hmm. So that's the one I described. This is a shotgun house um, that um, is the model for her mother's home in Treme. Uh, for her auntie Laura and her husband uh, Tony and best friend Emily, the parents of best friend Emily all lived there in Treme. They lived across the street, so that is the uh, that's a typical uh, shotgun house. Except theirs wasn't quite that fancy though. Okay, and moving on. On the left are the stairs that Francesca ascended in the. Uh, ball, to go to the ballroom on the second floor of the Orleans, um, of the Orleans uh, ballroom. That's the actual name of the building. So on the left is uh, what the stairs looked like uh, many years ago, uh, as in the 19th century. The photo on the right is my photo taken in 2013. Same building. Now, uh, on the cover of the book, you see the outside kind of um, in black and white um, with um, on the cover here, unpainted. And now you see from my photo in the middle there, 2013, the back of the, um, the uh, St. Louis Cathedral, major landmark in, uh, in um, New Orleans. St. Louis Cathedral. Uh, this building with the flag now, same building, approximately 190 years old now, is a hotel. In this picture on the cover of the book, it's a convent. And before that, 
It was the ballroom, the Orleans ballroom. Now this is called the Bourbon New Orleans, no, the Bourbon Orleans Hotel. And it's located at 717 Orleans Street in New Orleans. All right? Now, when I walked out of the uh, hotel, after they allowed me in to take many more pictures than the one you see here, I find a group of people standing on the sidewalk right behind the cathedral looking at something on the ground. What could they be looking at? Though I'm there on a mission, I decided I'd go take a look. And what did I find? I found a plaque right there in the sidewalk dedicated to Henriette DeMille, the first African-American woman What's the word? I'm not sure the Catholic word. Nominated to be a saint. So she is now known as the venerable Henriette DeMille. And a street has, has, uh, has uh, been renamed in her honor that is at the front of this church, which is where her order was founded in 1842. I went to Catholic services in this church. Um, I say Catholic services. That's because I'm I'm Presbyterian Methodist back and forth to Baptist. (laughs) All righty. So so I I went here. This is where uh, in the book, Francesca and uh, and her family uh, worshipped. All righty. And you heard me mention Slaughterhouse Bend. This is a Carnival Line ship making the turn at... Slaughterhouse Bend on its way out to the ocean from its uh, port in uh, New Orleans. Okay, so that's all um, part of the backstory. Now uh, to the writing part, here we are with one of my tools. The red dots that you see around this um, 1867 map of uh, downtown New Orleans, uh, and trust me, with a magnifying glass, you can actually read the street names. Okay, so um, with some help again from the locals, the uh, New Orleans Public Library by phone gave me what I needed in order to find out where the old buried streetcar tracks were located that have been paved over. They are marked here in red, blue, green, etc. So that when I wrote the book, I could accurately describe how Francesca and her friends and family transported, and including the bad guy, the murderer, transported themselves from one place to another. All right, so Citizens Bank, real bank, yes, it had an address. All right, so um, the, um, the uh, ballroom, the um, cathedral, uh, Francesca's friends' homes, all of the places that, uh, that she visited, and the police headquarters and all of that. Um, Included and in, uh, wound up on, uh, on this map. So that's just a little piece of background there. Now I arrive at my favorite part. Remember, I had two. And the most favorite ones? Questions and answers. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I am ready when you are ready. Yes, sir. First of all, good afternoon. 
I'd like to know what inspired you to write these series of books. Are you originally from New Orleans? Uh, do you have relatives from New Orleans? What made you know uh, to this series? And are you planning a new book afterwards? Thank you. Thank you for that question. Uh, those questions, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, on the, um, on the first question, uh, what inspired me to write it? Well, part of it was my personal experience. Uh, as I related the uh, short story about uh, that uh, very attractive girlfriend uh, that I uh, had right after high school there in uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina, and the auntie telling me, uh, you're wasting your time on him. Well, the real deal was there that um, the auntie uh, was telling her niece, he's not in our class, uh, and he's darker than you are, so... Don't waste your time. He's not going to amount to anything. That was one. Uh, that, that's one. Yeah, now, why New Orleans? We could have done that in South Carolina because we have the same issues, uh, not only in South Carolina and in Louisiana. Savannah, Georgia is another noted for um, uh, such uh, class divisions and many other places. So why New Orleans? New Orleans because, and my biases do come through in what I write, because in New Orleans was, after I left South Carolina, my first favorite city in the U.S. until I saw San Francisco. <laughs> okay, so that's the connection there. So when Francesca was introduced in First Dark, I had no idea that I would write The Laced Chameleon. But in First Dark, as a character, she stepped forth and introduced herself in the book as being from New Orleans. And I describe her. So holding true to that with a character already established, so to speak, in the marketplace, I sell it forth with um, her as the protagonist in the new book. Okay? And you did say, uh, you did ask, um, what's next? Well, wouldn't you know? Next is the next slide in getting from here to yonder. And that's what's next. Now, strain your eyes a bit and you'll be able to read that. <laughs> so, in blue are the titles that I have published. So you see up here, The Lace Chameleon, First Dark. We talked about that. Another one published already, Sacrifice a Shallow Church. But if you look up at red, you see the word chameleon twice. What does that mean? Well, the red ones are unpublished titles. So, Francesca will be back to do more detective work and find more bad guys. All right, so what am I working on next, though? It's called Time Was. So, Francesca will have to make her return after Time Was. Time Was uh, happens in the period in the 19-teens, so early 20th century, about this time, 100 years ago. And in 2017, we will celebrate the 100th anniversary of the United States' entry into World War I. That's what's next. So, did I answer both your questions, sir? All righty. Yes, sir. May I not go to the microphone? Why did you select this time period to write about your characters? And all the photographs that you're using in your book from actual 
people, actual characters, or are they from a site that you pull those from to use in your writings? Excellent. Thank you. Um, time period. I chose this time period because it is my perception. I don't know if I'm right or not. In America, we're still fighting about that time period to the point that some of our history, if you're looking at it from the African-American point of view, is not told in, in historical references, particularly some textbooks that are um, uh, purposed for high schools or even for first and second year college history students. That's one of the reasons. Um, now, what about the uh, characters in this time period? I use both fiction and nonfiction characters. I, I have uh, followed the suggestion of one of my readers from North Carolina who said one day when we were on our way to a baseball game, Bob, why don't you tell the reader which characters are which? So for that reason, there are two lists. At the end of The Laced Chameleon, where you are able to identify which characters or fiction and which characters or nonfiction. As an example, in this book, just a few of the nonfiction characters include Judah P. Benjamin. He's first on the list here because it's in alphabetical order. <laughs> Judah P. Benjamin was a United States senator from Louisiana. He was also later the Secretary of State and sometimes called the brains behind the Confederacy, Judah P. Benjamin. How else is he pivotal to this novel? He once upon a time, before he went off to Congress, off to the United States Senate, owned Bell Chase Plantation, a real sugar plantation south of New Orleans, which is where some of the scenes are set in The Lace Chameleon. All right, that's just one guy. You see a number of things are connected to his name. Yes, and I'll just uh, hit another one here. Well, we won't even get out of the bees. Benjamin F. Butler, probably one of the most infamous persons in New Orleans today. While I was there doing research in 2013, every time, yes, every time I made mention of Benjamin P. Butler, not Benjamin P. Butler. Yes. Benjamin F. Butler. Sorry. So I took a look. <laughs> but nonetheless, I would get hisses. So his legacy is still hated in New Orleans. Why? He was the first administrator of New Orleans after the federal government retook New Orleans in 1862. Some of the things that he did that rankled the secessionists still rankle them today. And he's called, um, in some quarters, as I quote, everything but a child of God there. <laughs> All right. So to answer your question, I use both. And yes, there's also a list of fictional characters here 
uh, and what they did and why they are in the book. So I've included those along with um, the, um, the, uh, all the chapters plus a reference to a bibliography for each of my works, though bibliographies are not required of novels, but I do it anyway. So the bibliographies reside on my website, not in the book. Does your flowchart also include fictitious characters and real characters? The chart that you're looking at there does not include real characters. It is a map for me, because I'm very forgetful nowadays. Uh, When was so-and-so born? Could they have done thus and so in what year? So you see, in some cases, uh, uh, not all, I have noted the year that the person was born. But if you're looking at my character database on my computer, the actual date is there. So that way those persons are interested in, well, what sign is this person? Um, uh, what, uh, what was the moon when that person was born? I mean, all that you can look up. So yes, I, I make them as real as I can and I flesh them out to include their education. So you know where they went to school. If they didn't go to school, they didn't. Uh, you know, where they learn, what they learn. Apprenticeships, yes, that too. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is, um, that is my family tree, so to speak, for uh, the characters to come in the unpublished works that you see in red. So again, blue is published, red not published yet. And in some cases, uh, not even titles for them. All right. Now, you notice something about strange about this um, family tree at the beginning, all the way over on the left. You see, one person is named twice with two different women. Yeah. So, one day when you. What was <laughs> The woman, Francesca Duma, was enslaved. Um, So was Isaac, one in Louisiana, one in South Carolina. Uh, The woman, Alejandra Luna, not a slave, Mexican, born a peasant, born to peasant parents uh, in the Mexican state of uh, Chihuahua, 1848. Mm Mm-hmm. So the children that came from Isaac followed two paths. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my point about the left there. Okay, any other questions? This is my favorite part. This will go on for a long time. Um, but if you don't have any other questions, okay. All right, we will proceed then. Now let's see here. Where are we? Oh my goodness, look at that. There's next and there's Done. So, thank you very, very much for coming. Though I'm not going to run away, I'll be right back there uh, with, the, uh, with the books and the CDs. So, uh, come on back. If you have more questions, uh, fine, I can answer them while I walk around. Thank you ever so much. Thank you.